Okay, this episode is about one thing, one thing old. It's alright in the title. Should have made this episode early, but I was, you know, waiting for the dust to settle. And oh, it's still dusty out this bitch. Brian Flores has exposed, well, is in the process of exposing something that if you're an NFL football fan over the past decade, it's something that we all knew was true if you paid if you're paying attention and you felt it. And is that the Rooney rule is not being practicing good faith by the NFL. A rule that the NFL imposed on itself. And that's something weird to do as a company. Make your own equal opportunity employment rule, then be like, we're not going to follow it. Like, that shit might not come back and bite you in the ass. If somebody, like one Brian Flores, finally hits the point where they're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm probably not getting another head coaching job in this business. So, fuck it. Why not burn the bridges while I'm on my way out? Because the motherfucker's already doing that to him. Smearing his name with extreme malevolence after they fired him. Because, hey, man, two back-to-back winning seasons, a 10-win season and a 9-win season, typically, the coach does that. Hey, they keep him around for the third season. Especially when it's when it's based around, you know, having a young quarterback ready to change and lead the offense, you know, building that up. I mean, hey, yeah, 10 wins sharing between Ryan Fitzpatrick and a rookie to a Tungi Valoa, a man can coach. Team started off, you know, 1-6, 1-7, somewhere in that range. And then, you know, when all hopes looks, looks lost, he's able to refocus these guys and rattle off eight wins in a row. You know, kept hope alive. Gave these boys a chance. But, you know, they actually came up short, didn't make the playoffs these last two seasons. But a lot of good, good out there. I mean, how often does a team miss the playoffs with 10 wins? Not not pretty often. Unless, you know, hey, we got a, we got a playoff-bound team. But, you know, maybe some things in the schedule just didn't fall their way. They, they lost to the wrong people. Most times what happens, you know. The tiebreakers and stuff breaks down. But Brian Flores, for all intents and purposes, has has pretty much seemed to be a good coach. I mean, every single NFL pundit, when this occurred, when his firing occurred, was like, this is stupid. This makes no sense. How could they fire this man after these back-to-back good seasons? Great seasons, you know? Maybe this passes and then it start off on a good note. But he turned things around and was like, hey, we're going to, Beat them dudes. Don't forget that. And he also beat Bill Belichick twice in a season. I don't think nobody's been able to say that since what? 99? Goddamn. But heading to the coaching carousel, everybody's like, okay, well, the Dolphins let this man go. Obviously, someone's going to pick him up. And over the course of this what, 
nine different openings for head coaching positions. Eight of them have been filled. And ain't none of them him. Well, eight of them have been officially filled. The ninth one, people sort of figured out who who that person is going to get that ninth spot. But out of that, only two of these nine coaches have more wins or better win percentage than Brian Flores over his head coaching career these past three seasons, including a first season where, hey, it's in the legal documents. The owner wanted to tank for two and was like, hey, I was going to pay you $100,000 a game to lose intentionally, which is just, hey, compromises the integrity of the game, and especially when it comes to the proliferation of sports betting out here in this country. How can I, as a sports book, operate legally and faithfully if I find out a team intentionally trying to lose, that's costing my betters money. That means everybody who bet on a Dolphins game, if it turns out to be true, if there's, well, they're saying it never went through because Flores never accepted it. But to find out that a team attempted to do do as much shows some, some form of infringement on the integrity of these sports books. And that, hey, we're allowing people to bet on your games and give you a, a kickback. A little percentage of what we make off the off people betting on your games as a league. Because we believe every team is trying to win games and not intentionally trying to lose. Because if you intentionally try to lose, you start point shaving. That's where, you know, a team or individual decide, hey, we're trying to make sure whatever whatever that sports book said, this is the amount of points this game will be decided by, try to either be above or below that. That's very dangerous territory. Very dangerous. Hey, people get locked up because ESPN has a nice 30 for 30, but uh, the University of Boston basketball team doing it. If you ever seen Goodfellas, it's a nice, it's a nice follow-up to that movie for one scene in that movie where, you know, Henry Hill snitching. Oh, he was snitching. And yes, he's in the 30 for 30. Still snitching. Still snitching. But, Feeling that the Rooney Rule is it's fake is something people have been feeling for a decent amount of time. A good amount of time. I mean, when you look at things, I mean, just looking at the overall history of minority head coaches in the NFL. Because, I mean, even now with, with these hirings, they, they got the numbers somewhat back up. But when Brian Flores filed his documents, at that point in time, there were only three minority head coaches in NFL. One Mike Tomlin, two Ron Rivera, and three Robert Salah. Which is not looking all that great. Not looking all that great. Considering what the Rooney Rule was intended to do and its immediate effect it had when it was put in place. And that at the point at uh, that at a point in time, I guess we could basically say the peak of the Rooney Rule's effectiveness 2007-2008, where you have two black head coaches coaching against one another in the Super Bowl, and Tony Dungy and Lovey Smith. When the league had around, do, 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 trying to compute in my head, eight, eight or nine minority head coaches, 
And to think that that number dwindled down so, 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 so drastically. And it's basically stayed this low number three or four for like the past five, six seasons. With the only one that's constantly been there is Mike Tomlin. Because he's figured something out that everybody else hasn't with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He, he knows how to produce a team that has not given him ever a losing season. And... I think 11 seasons, 11, 13, I don't know, it's, it's been a long time, it's been a long time he's been there, doing his thing, but, wasn't looking like that, and then, right now, you know, we got Lovey Smith, who finally had another opportunity to be head coach again, which is weird, it took this many years, but, Lovey Smith got the position after, after, them, the Houston Texans only hired Dave Cully, another black head coach, for a season, then fired him. When he's the one head coach that looked like, hey, he might have something figured out with his team being hammered under the Deshaun Watson allegations and then the fire sale of players that happened under Bill O'Brien. Trying to build a team and him making the most out of his rookie quarterback. Looking like he's the one head coach who knows what he's doing. He gets fired. And the only person who they can find replace him is his defensive coordinator, Lovey Smith. Which is somewhat telling that, hey, no one else out there really wanted to take your job. So you guys just had to find someone in-house just to elevate. It's almost like, you know, find a head coach in the middle of the season. It's like, well, somebody got a coach. And then we also have the somewhat curious case of Mike McDaniels. I love him call it curious. He is a multiracial man. Biracial, multiracial, whatever you want to do. He, he's mixed up, jumbled up a little bit from a white mother, black father. Raised, raised by both parents. You know, he's very aware of his racial standing in the world. And something, you know, he never felt to bring up all that much and unfortunately he's going through I guess the harsh trans transgressions of people accusing him of passing for a white man because I guess a good comparison is I mean he almost looks like the rapper Logic who's also half black half white sometimes you know black people can have these very fair-skinned characteristics and he was one, and he also gave an interview a year or two ago, you know, talking about that sometimes he, he discussed his heritage with players and coaches who've asked him about it. And they all seem to be very welcoming, you know, getting an understanding about who he is. And he found it enlightening and allowed him to connect with players deeply when I asked him that question. And so, it seems, are we, are we counting him as a black head coach? I would say yes, he comes from a... A background that over the course of his life has probably affected him. Probably been in rooms with white and other non-black individuals who said some things about one half of his her heritage and background that he may have not been keen to if he was of a darker skin. He wouldn't. Be, he may have not been in those rooms and heard the things that were said. So I would say you have to include him as a black man. Having a black father being raised by him, 
spending time with his black grandmother, in which in his interview he said he didn't realize until, you know, seeing multitudes of family photos at his grandmother's house and once he got older that, hey, I'm the only light-skinned person in the family. It's a little weird. And learn how to navigate like that way. He he does not he's not gonna have, you know, the quote unquote stereotypical normal black upbringing that the mainstream media will want you to think that every black person has in a monolithic culture, which we aren't. He has an experience as a black man that probably most people who come from an African descendant background aren't gonna experience due to them not being able to have that fair skin that allows them to blend in certain situations and go unnoticed for their heritage. So, now, we're up because of a lawsuit. Sort of, Brian Flores did got the effect that he wanted to some extent in the short term and that he got those numbers back up. Now we're up to five minority head coaches, which is excellent. Could be better, should be better. But over time, we, we've seen that this sort of doesn't work out good. And that African-American, especially African-American head coaches, as far as minority head coaches go, are under an extremely short leash. And that, hey, like Brian Flores had just had happen to him where he filed a suit, they can get fired after multiple winning seasons. The main reason, well, not, well, the the major event that even triggered the Rooney Rule being made and in place is that after three consecutive seasons of t- taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to the playoffs, Tony Dungy was fired, and within that same season, head coach Dennis Green of the Minnesota Vikings, after having two 10-win seasons, then following that up with a six-win season, was also fired as head coach. Which, in NFL at that point in time, almost any coach with those kind of records would, dude, you're given, you're given another season. You know, one down season for after two playoff back-to-back playoff appearances with ten wins. That head coach is coming back. You know they're coming back. But under being a black head coach, we know that least it's a whole lot shorter as the African-American community. So so some folks in NAACP were going to bring up a lawsuit, but the the Rooney family who own who owned the um Pittsburgh Steelers, namely Dan Rooney, who who the rules officially named after. Decided, hey, that we need to put a rule in place that every time there's a head coaching position opening, or a major court or a major assistant coach position opening, at least interview one candidate outside of your organization who is of minority origin. Just, just in the sense of that, hey, you, when the position's open. Even if you don't pick this person to be part of your staff, their name's out there in that, hey, you know, me here at the New York Giants, yeah, I had a good interview with such and such coach. When you're talking to other organizations, then maybe 
San Francisco 49ers like, oh, you had a good interview with him? You know what? I've seen what he's done as a defensive coordinator. I'll bring him in and give him an interview. Then possibly that leads to a head coaching job. So they're spreading the word of mouth. Word of mouth with good coaches giving good interviews. And just having the minority coaches those opportunities to have those interviews. Because, hey, if you are a Pittsburgh Steelers fan listening to this, if you remember the Steel Curtain defense of the 1980s for Pittsburgh, guess who was the coordinator of that defense under Chuck Noll? The one and only Tony Dungy. And Chuck Noll complained for years of him literally trying to force people to give Tony Dungy interviews while Tony Dungy was working under him in Pittsburgh. I mean, the pedigree that Pittsburgh put up in the 1980s is great, is legendary. And the person running such a legendary defense not getting a head coaching job was something that stuck out to Dan Rooney and to Chuck and all that, hey, if Tony Dungy was white, he'd probably have a head coaching job by now. In which, Tony Dungy didn't get that head coaching job until 96. 96. That's just a ridiculous amount of time for someone to wait after putting up such a good resume. Having to wait that long to get a head coaching job. Including having to take a step back from being such a good D coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 80s, having to take a step down to be a DB's coach in Kansas City for a minute, then go back up again to be defensive coordinator, then get that head coaching job. Because Tony Dungeon didn't, didn't get his head coaching job to 96. But the unfortunate thing that we that we see, which is about a runner rules put in place in that, the only reason Tony Dungeon was able to make that trek back up was because Dennis Green got the head coaching job at the Minnesota Vikings. And Dennis Green decided, hey, I'm going to add Tony Dungy as my defensive coordinator so that he's in one of the most prime positions to be a head coach once again. And that's something that's also seen when it comes with the Rooney Rule and the fact that most minority head coaches spent most of their, a good amount, if not most of their years, being under the staff of another minority head coach or coordinator. And that was sort of the only way for them to move upwards in that they had to wait for one to get that position. Then that one person became under the responsibility of bringing everybody in. A, a rising tide raises all ships. And that was the only way it could work until the Rooney rules put in place where, hey, you don't need the rising tide to raise your ship. Got a little bit more help, more assistance. You're able to just have your resume out there and, and it worked for you. Which it did for a short period of time. Then, I, I guess, some people in GM executive positions got changed out, maybe died off. And things just started slimming back down, slowly but surely. Head coaches getting hired to coach teams that the GMs intentionally wanted to lose, such as Hugh Jackson and getting hired to coach 
the Cleveland Browns. And let's we can talk about Hugh real quick. Hugh also stated, hey, he was under sim- similar similar terms were given to him when he was at Cleveland as far as losing games like Brian Flores was given. No exact dollar amounts, nor did Hugh lose intentionally, but he was given rosters that are poorly put together because for some reason the Cleveland Browns thought they could trust the process like the like the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA and, and intentionally just stack up first-round picks and keep losing, then out of nowhere build a Super Bowl-winning team, which for a season people thought was working. Then, you know, you realize, like, hey, a lot of young guys got them into the playoffs, and then you can't hold this team together forever with all these first-round picks. Eventually their contracts come due. You can't, you know, have – five first-round picks over the course of two seasons. I think those key guys can all stay in place when all the contracts come due at the same time. Just doesn't work out well. But Hugh Jackson, before he got his before he got his gig coaching for the Cleveland Browns, people forget Hugh had a singular season coaching the Oakland Raiders. And watching that season, Hugh Jackson goes 8-8. Eight and eight. That's a good start for a first-season head coach. You notice, you know, he knows what he's doing. He needs to pick it up a little bit. But then, unfortunately, the legendary, the legendary team owner, GM, Al Davis dies. And then the staff that has brought in under Mark Davis says, yeah, we don't want Hugh Jackson here to coach this team. We want to give this budding team to somebody else to take control of. Reap the rewards that he built. Similar to, you know, how John Gruden reaped the rewards of Tony of the team that Tony Dungy built in Tampa Bay. I mean, John Gruden, first season coaching the Tampa Bay, they won the Super Bowl with a roster completely built by Tony Dungy, top to bottom. Even so much to the point that John Gruden does not know how to run the Tampa 2 defense. That those Buccaneers teams used to win that Super Bowl, which the ownership of Tampa Bay still uses to this day. That's what they like their team to be run under. Because in one of the Super Bowls, they feel good. Old defense, newly designed, fresh, something different. Completely designed by Tony Dungy, and I forgot who his defensive coordinator was at the time. Like a whole new defense. John Gruden just reaps the rewards of that whole new thing. He don't even know how to, doesn't even know how to work. Let's just hand it to him. And, you know, down the line, we saw that worked up for John Gruden. We saw who he truly was. I mean, let's, I'm just going to talk about it. The man got a 10-year contract to head coach. After not coaching, period, for like eight years. Ridiculous. But back to the Rooney rule. It's something that we all thought would help along the way, and initially did, but then it just became to the point where where Brian Flores had to expose that everything we felt, that the requirement to review at least one minority candidate just became a quick quota teams were hitting just to say, we hit the quota, we did it, even though they're doing it in bad faith. Got a lot of incidents of, oh, the black head coach interviewed on Monday, Oh, another coach. That's not that coach. It's announced as a head coach on Tuesday morning. 
no one, no one makes a decision that quickly. And that's what Brian Flores found out. The legendary head coach, still coaching Bill Belichick at the New England Patriots. The former head coach of Brian Flores, he's on, Brian Flores is on his staff. Accidentally text Brian Flores thinking he's Brian Double. The, the now head coach of New York Giants. Brian Flores is texted confirmation accidentally that Brian Dabble's hired, hired as head coach of the New York Giants on Monday. Brian Flores is still still supposed to interview with the New York Giants on that Thursday. I mean, one can only imagine the sinking feeling in your stomach and the pit of your gut. That you feel when it's like, yo, I'm putting all this stuff together. Try to get another chance of being a head coach. When I was fired under some BS, putting your best foot forward and trying to get everything together to show like, hey, I'm that guy. And then you find out three days ahead of time, like, bro, you basically just showing up there for a menstrual show. It has to feel awful. And then, to add more fuel to the fire, Brian Flores did reveal, hey, in 2019, before he took the Miami job, which he found out was a sham, he was interviewing for the Denver Broncos head coaching position. And even though it's been denied, but the way the denial was written seemed like Brian Flores was telling the truth. Imagine showing up to a job interview. And only one person of the staff, of that interview on staff, is, is there to interview you on time. Then imagine the four or five other, other members who are supposed to be able to talk to you in that interview show up an hour late. You can smell the alcohol off them. Clothes are fully wrinkled, disheveled, and everything. Looking like, hey, boys should spend a whole night on the town. Just letting it go, just getting to it, like they didn't have nothing to do the next morning. That's what Brian Flores was treated to by John Elway and the gang at the Denver Broncos, which is just insane. It's just insane to think about. But Brian Flores doing this, I'm glad. I'm excited to see where this goes. Because depending on how much further dirt he has on them, this could make waves. This could be a extreme gut punch to the NFL. I mean, him and his law team filed as a class action lawsuit. So that means other minority head coaches could come in and join this suit and talk about the things they're dealing with. Because I'm trying to think of his name. Trying to think of his name. He was he was a um he was a position coach. The story came out last word. Last year. Eugene Eugene Chung. He was a position coach at um under Kansas City. And so at one point in time, he was trying to interview to, you know, to get these um these um, coordinator head coaching positions. He's thinking of throwing his, his name in the ring, you know, trying to move up. 
give myself a chance to do better. Because, hey, Eugene Chung, he's Asian. That is a minority in this big country we call America. But in the attempts of throwing his name in the ring, in 2009, league executives got back to him. And we're telling him, hey, you're not the right kind of minority. Basically telling him that, you know, you're an Asian. You just, you're not moving up ever. The only folks we care about basically are the folks who have a big enough populace in this country. African American and Hispanic American that would cause problems with protests against our organization. And that's fucked up to say to any man, basically. Like, hey, you're, you, you're the wrong race for us to get any attempt. That's just fucked up. That's, that's, you might, you might as well said, hey, you're, you're black. You're not the right one. Same effect. Same effect. That's what the rental rule is supposed to prevent. And literally, they're telling them, yo, we really don't even care about the Rooney rule, to be honest with you. And if we actually did, you're not the kind, you're not the kind of person we want to consider under the Rooney rule. Of, of no merits. Of his abilities. Just straight. Yo bro. You Asian. We ain't fucking with Asians. That's fucked up. And I, I hope he joins. Joins the suit. I hope he has documentation. Just say yo. Motherfuckers just blatantly. Being fucked up for no reason. I mean. They do get a reason. They're old white men. Who. Who don't like other races for the most part. They, they just racist. And that's fucked up bro. They always say, every time we complain, yo, we feel like the running rule is not working. Like, yo, it's all about getting the best man for the job. Bro, we've seen these fucking head coaches. Like, fuck, what's Joe Judge got a head coaching job after being a special teams coordinator for the Patriots for one season. That was his highest position ever. Never been a coordinator at any level before that. Always just been a position coach. Special teams coordinator for a season. Head coach. And look how the fucking New York Giants turned out. Like, this is the kind of shit we be talking about, bro. And it's just fucked up, man. It's fucked up. And Brian Flores, if you if you hear this, bro, keep pushing. Keep fucking pushing. Eugene Chung, you hear this, bro? Keep pushing. Tony Dungeon, you hear this, bro? Step out, hop out, pop out, bro. Help the homies, man. And, I'll, and also... Tom Flores, you know, pop out too. Pop out for the Hispanic coaches, man. Because, honestly, it's really only been you and Ron Rivera. And that's crazy, too. The amount of great Hispanic players who have contributed to this league. I mean, I mean, bro, even Tom Flores was getting was getting shafted, bro. All right. Yo, Tom Flores, it's only him and Mike Dicker who have won Super Bowls as a player and a head coach. Tom Flores Put one up, quarterback in for the Oakland Raiders for the Super Bowl. And Tom Flores coached the Oakland Raiders to two, well, the Oakland and Los Angeles Raiders to two Super Bowls. Crazy part is, bro, took that man damn near 30 years to get inducted into the Hall of Fame after retiring, bro. 
You got three Super Bowls, and it takes you 30 years to get to the Hall of Fame. That's fucking nuts, bro. And there's no other reason I was like, bro. He's a Hispanic head coach. He ain't a white head coach that they didn't want to respect him like that, like they should have. And it took four years of all these special campaigns put together by the citizens of Oakland and L.A. to get this man into the Hall of Fame. Even so much that it was like a like a Bud Light commercial for a whole year being like, yo, put Tom Flores in the Hall of Fame. This, this the man. And he was. That was a bad motherfucker, man, back in the day. Shit. Three Super Bowls. Obviously, that's a bad motherfucker. Shit. Tom Brady could learn a thing or two from Tommy Flo. But... Niggas is racist in the NFL, as we've always known, but hopefully this time this race, they race something bites them in the ass, and these niggas gotta eat grass and be like, oh, fuck, we down bad with this shit. And that's all I got for this episode, man. I'm gonna get back to y'all. Try to be more frequent. Might have to just drop shit daily, because the sports cycle be moving too quickly for me sometimes, man. Trying to let the dust settle, so many other stories popping up. Next time, man, I gotta talk about the fact that, yo, Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball got no idea what the fuck they doing. But that's enough for today. I'm, I'm gonna get back at y'all. I'm gonna holler back at y'all. Y'all be alright, bro. Keep listening. It's up watching the Hawaii Sports Podcast, man. Shout out to the Brotherhood. Shout out Tommy Chang for coming back to coach the Rainbow Warriors, man. Y'all be easy. Love. During this brief intermission, I just wanted to remind all our listeners that we are available on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, and we also have a Twitter account where you guys can interact with us and catch up with us, see our ideas on some things happening between our podcast episodes. Links will always be down in the description. And now back to the action.